Hello and welcome to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager. Each week at this time, we gather for spiritual conversation with enlightening guests, and I'm glad you're here. You can find out more about my work as an intuitive and teacher at karenhager.com. And if you're looking for more Out of the Fog content with bonus pictures of Maisie the puppy and all kinds of other things, follow Fog City Psychic on Instagram. Now, do your keys refuse to stay where you put them? Or do your socks go AWOL from the laundry? That happens to me with great regularity. Well, Cynthia Sue Larson is my guest today, and she says that when things appear and disappear, transform or transport, and when we experience changes in time, that is a reality shift. She says our consciousness can change our physical world, and when we learn to understand and maybe work with reality shifts, our lives can be better as a result. So are you ready to meet her? Cynthia Sue Larson is the best-selling author of several books, including Quantum Jumps, Reality Shifts, and High Energy Money. Cynthia has a degree in physics from UC Berkeley, an MBA degree, a Doctor of Divinity, and is a second-degree black belt in Cook Sewell One. Cynthia is founder of Reality Shifters, first president of the International Mandela Effect Conference, managing director of Foundations of Mind, and creator and host of the Living the Quantum Dream podcast. She's been featured on Gaia, the History Channel, Coast to Coast AM, One World with Deepak Chopra, and the BBC. Cynthia reminds us to ask in every situation, how good can it get? You can subscribe to her free monthly easing and find out lots more at realityshifters.com. Cynthia, welcome to Out of the Fog. Well, thank you, Karen. I'm so happy to be talking with you today. Oh, I'm glad you're here. What is a reality shift and how do I know when there's been one? Well, basically it is something unexpected. It's where usually it, often people notice an item such as their wallet, their purse, um, their coat, their keys, these kinds of things, not being where they know for sure they left them. Sometimes putting socks in the laundry and not finding those again. But uh, the summary that I like to sum it all up with is basically remembering things differently than they seem to be and just have a, a completely different set of recollections that you know are true um, but you, some people start doubting their memory at that point and it can feel like things have appeared disappeared reappeared transformed or transported um, all of that can happen and when we do this collectively there's even a term for it now called the mandela effect what's the mandela effect okay that would be it's, it's really getting traction lately because people are noticing Nelson Mandela, for example, was one of the people that were noticed alive again. Um, I mentioned two examples in my book, Reality Shifts, which came out in 1999. After Larry Hagman, I noticed he was alive again. After I'd seen really reliable reports that he'd passed away, the next thing I knew, he, he was recovering from some surgery instead of having died. And that now this goes back to the 1980s. So that was an early example and we don't have the Hagman effect. We call it the Mandela effect. <laughs> Poor <laughs> <Just> Larry Hagman. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad he came back. And I think we're all glad Nelson Mandela did not die when he was imprisoned in Robbins Island. So it's collective, what they call misremembering. My premise is it's not misremembering. What if reality, space and time as we know it are much, much wilder, woolier and more interesting than we've ever been led to believe? Can you say more about that? Because it, 
it because it feels like there's a there's a difference between maybe getting it wrong or misremembering like oh I, oh I thought Larry Hagman passed oh I guess he's still alive and the kind of thing you're talking about where it where it seems like something deeper is going on well for me Larry Hagman the reason I put him in the book reality shifts he's the first that I know of example of a living person who's been definitely someone, the, the author, me saying for sure, I remember he died, then he's alive again. More recently, I'm finding other people like Robert Manny from Guys Guys um, broadcast and podcast. Uh, he, he That was one he brought up to me. He said he remembered uh, Larry Hagman. So it, what, it, what's interesting is when you know it, know it, then you know that you have that clear memory. Like I know I saw his death reported on TV. There was a big deal. Other actors came forward um expressing um condolences to him and the family when you know it like that then it's not simple brain confusion um it's not misremembering but in order for people to know what i'm talking about it really has to be experienced like falling in love if i talked about oh falling in love is so great unless it happens to you it sounds like people are they're just getting weird you know (laughs) Okay. So I, so for me, and, and so I'm a professional intuitive, I'm kind of wacky anyway, wacky things happen around me all the time. And it's always been like that since I was a tiny tot. So I may have a wackier than normal sort of existence and way of interfacing with the world. So Maisie, the puppy hurt her paw. I took one of my little white socks, like a little white, just the kind that just go up over your heel. And I put it over her paw just to keep it nice and clean till we could get her to the vet. That was one of a pair of socks. The other sock I put up on the top of the dresser so that when we washed Miss Maisie's sock, I would have the mate to it ready to go. The other sock is no longer on the dresser. It is not behind the dresser. It's not under the dresser. It's not, it didn't fall on anything. It didn't go on a drawer. It is missing. All the, all the other socks are accounted for. Where is that sock? Is that a reality shift or did I just lose a sock? Well, I'm, I mean, once you've exhausted all of the practical possibilities that maybe you did just lose a sock, but once you're clear that for sure you did not, and it's some, it's clearer in some households than others. It sounds like you're pretty sure where things are. I am. <laughs> so, so in your case, and you don't sound like you're that confused a person to me, then I would suggest it's starting to sound a lot like a reality shift to me. Definitely. And this so, is an old phenomenon. It's been documented in England uh, Mary Rose Barrington called it just one of those things or jot J O T T. <laughs> and she had documented story, histories and experiences and accounts of this phenomenon going back to the turn of the century, 1900. So we've got, and my website covers it for the last 20 plus years. That means we've got this amazing written history. This is not just some fly by night phenomena. These are not confused people. You know, the, the people reporting it are scientists, engineers, doctors, nurses, um, you know, professors, anybody that you'd respect has experienced this and yourself too. I'd say it looks like you're having that experience also. So, but what's the, what's the point of that? Is there an alternate me somewhere who all of a sudden found an extra sock? Well, when we get into studying reality, that's where you get into things like quantum interpretations that would be parallel universe theories, multi, you know, many world interpretation theories, um, transactional interpretation, where we might be communicating with future possible selves. All of this comes up in quantum interpretations when scientists are looking at what's going on with reality. 
I'm bringing all this up because we still don't know. We, we don't even have it pinned down for quantum physics yet. So, um, and I'm not going to be saying for sure that I know what's going on. What, what we do know is that we're starting to see that we can experience life as if it's a waking dream. We're starting to see that we can think and feel questions and ask them to the universe. And we ask nature a question, we get an answer. And that was, that's not just me saying that. Physicist John Archibald Wheeler said, we do live in a participatory universe because you can ask nature a question and it will answer. He also uh, pointed out that you know, we've got something like delayed choice going on. And these have been proven to be true through quantum physics experiments. So we know those are true. As far as what's going on, that gets into metaphysics and you know, your take on it is equally valuable to mine. Uh, to me, it looks like consciousness is fundamental. Like physicist Max Planck said, you can't get behind consciousness. So space-time itself, we, we tend to think that we trust what we see with our five senses, you know, sight, smell, sound, touch, taste. And we trust what we can measure and anything you can't measure, like love, falling in love or these reality shifts. We say, well, that's just hooey. You know, there are detractors who will say these things. However, I think it's the unmeasurables, those, un, those things that are all quanta, they're pure experience on our part. Those are what life is worth living for. I love that idea that we live, mm, that we are part of a responsive setting because so often I hear people talking about how they mm, are trying to shift the flow so that instead of life working against them, life works for them. I don't think that that's how that works, but people, we tend sometimes to take um, like an adversarial approach to our life. And one of the things I liked about the book is that it suggests that there's mm, something a little playful, something a little experimental in the way that in the way that we can live our life because we're part of that responsive universe. Right. Yeah, I love that that playfulness too. And I love to ask the question, how good can it get? So, um, and, and I, I offer this to any listener who might be feeling a bit nervous or hesitant about ex wanting to even go there and experience reality shifts because people might be thinking understandably like, well, I don't want to experience something weird or that's not pleasant. And, and I don't tend to experience those reality shifts. I, most of mine are phenomenally positive. And, and I, I don't think it's an accident. I know by asking questions like, how good can it get? I know I'm steering my whole experience that way. And, and anybody can do that. Can we make a reality shift happen? Yeah, you can be part of um, intending them. Uh, to me, when it starts getting intentional, then we're moving a little bit out of what I've been calling reality shifts, where it's like, what the heck happened here? <laughs> and moving into what I would call quantum jumps, which would be basically requesting or initiating uh, basically a radical change from a situation being one way to another. And uh, that, for example, uh, I said there were two experiences of someone coming back in my book, Reality Shifts, the actor, Larry Hagman. I also mentioned my roommate's cat, Ashes, was alive again. And um, th that was a very interesting experience on so many levels because uh, I'd grown up with that. I mean, the cat had grown up with us. <laughs> I was in college when my roommate brought a kitten home. She'd been living in um, San Diego before she came to UC Berkeley. 
So she drove with this little kitten up on the freeway in her unconditioned car all the way on a hot summer day. Mm. And ever since he arrived in the house, then he felt like part of the family. So uh, he'd been, I'd been living with Ashes and my roommate, Catherine, for years. And then I moved across the street. And the, the hardest part about that was just feeling like I wouldn't see Ashes. But then, good news, he would come and visit in the garden across the street. So I was seeing him several times a week, almost every day. And then one day, I, um, my roommate, Catherine, told me that he'd passed away. So I was devastated to hear that. And I, I had that regret, like I wish I'd spent every moment with him instead of rushing past him. Mm. You, you know, that feeling like, gosh. Oh, yeah. So I just, that was a passing thought, but it was with all my heart, all my soul. I think every cell in my body was feeling that way. And then within days or a week or so at the most, one day there was ashes in my garden across the street from where he'd been living with Catherine and just visiting like always, but looking a little, little um, less hygienic, like he hadn't quite groomed himself fully properly. He looked a little greasy, um, but definitely not as if he'd been run over by a car, which is what Catherine had told me had happened. And that's what had been so devastating. And that was mind blowing for me. Larry, Larry Hagman was mind blowing, but so was seeing ashes alive again. And what I started noticing is that sometimes we can initiate these changes. Um, bringing someone back from the dead, that's okay. There are some challenges with this one in particular. And a lot of people write to me about it. They say, well, if Larry Hagman and Nelson Mandela and Ashes the Cat can come back, what about my loved one? And I would recommend start with small things first. Um, so if you're going to be doing uh, the kind of a quantum jump that would be that big a change. What I mean by big is um, often these are people that we care deeply about. And so we uh, kind of latch on to situations with our grief. So if a person is able to transcend that grief, and some people are, some people have been meditating for decades. Um, if they can do that and be okay with, you know, moving into a reality where something changes, it can be possible. But again, I would recommend starting with um, manifesting a parking space, uh, finding your keys um, when you've lost them and you, they're not where they should be or whatever the item is. Uh, just allow yourself to be open to receiving a kind of a daydream preview of where they might be or the missing item. And then you can often find things in very unexpected places that you know you did not put them. But um, I recommend having a no questions asked kind of a approach. I love it. <laughs> um, can I, may I ask one of the things about this is I get, I get very, you're right. I do like to know where things are. And I wonder if it, if it were possible to bring one of our beloved dead back to life, wouldn't that then change that other person's spiritual progress, their path? Wouldn't that then change? Isn't, isn't everything time this shifts, doesn't it tinker with so many other variables that it, that it becomes not simple very, very quickly? Yeah, well, this is interesting. And um, here we get into the idea, because if the way you're asking the question, and a lot of people think that way, we presume that there's one objective reality. Um, but we're starting to see experiments, such as the results from a 2019 ex physics experiment showing that observers 
observational devices situated at the same place, same time, saw two completely different things. Whoa. And, yeah. And that kind of experiment, this was done in collaboration with physicists at the University of Edinburgh, Scotland, in, in collaboration with physicists at um, University of Edinburgh, excuse me, that was Edinburgh, with Vienna, Austria. Those two universities got together, collaborated. And what they found was these two observational devices in a double slit experiment, uh, one device is witnessing one thing and another is witnessing another. Now they had a very special um, experimental apparatus set up. So um, I'm not gonna get into all the details, but suffice to say, these are trust, nevertheless, extremely trustworthy devices. And um, they were using a variation of the double slit experiment that's uh, based on the Wigner's friend um, approach, which is where uh, you've got layers of observers and observational devices. But we expect that um, our devices are reliable. We expect that, that we can trust two firsthand witnesses um, when they're giving their reports of what events transpired at a given place and time. But now we're starting to see what if there is no such thing as objective reality. And I did co-author a paper on this with physicist George Weissman about the quantum paradigm. And we were basically proposing before this experiment even came out that subjective realities appears to be more the way nature operates. And I'm, I've been seeing that for more than 20 years with firsthand reports of reality shifts where sometimes people do agree on a reality shift. Other times there are slight differences and you will see this in Mandela effects, uh, which is why if you notice Nelson Mandela being alive again as a Mandela effect for you, but it's not for your friend, that doesn't mean that's not a Mandela effect. It means that maybe your friend lived in South Africa and he was um, basically much more closely entangled with the reality where Nelson Mandela be, um, never passed away in jail, but just seamlessly was always there, became president of South Africa and so forth. So, so getting back to your, I know this is a roundabout, but it's so important to get into subjective reality. So back to your original question, would we be messing with things? Apparently not. It looks like nature has thought of everything and every single subconscious agent, you know, every conscious agent is the star of their own life, their own reality. And they're probably experiencing exactly what they need to experience, which could be quite different than what you think it is. Wow. Um, you, you're listening to Out of the Fog, and I'm talking with Cynthia Sue Larson. She's the author of, among other things, Reality Shifts, When Consciousness Changes the Physical World. So you say in the book that at an unconscious level, we know all the possibilities available in any moment. And for me, as the person who likes to know where everything is, that suggests that at an unconscious level, what we call past and what we call present and what we call future are all happening at the same time. And we're aware of that, even if we're not aware of it, sort of at the front part of our brain. Can, can you say more about that? Yeah, this gets into some cool stuff. So um, this, this idea of levels of consciousness, I want to give proper credit and attribution to philosopher Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz. And he was one of the two inventors of calculus. And calculus is relevant here because what he observed is that consciousness, he has, a, he has a definition of consciousness, and I like it. He said that consciousness requires a first order perception and a second order reflective perception 
of an original perception. So what does that mean? It's like, okay, so maybe you're not looking at your, at your arm because uh, you're doing something outdoors, um, getting the barbecue ready for grilling some vegetables or something. And you notice something landing on your arm and you can feel it. And it's, you, of course you spin to take a look as soon as you can, once you're not gonna drop something into the, the fire and you look and then sure enough, it's a butterfly. So that is an example, the first order awareness would be you feel something on your arm but you don't know what it is uh you you might be concerned like what is that is it is it a flying bit of debris or is it a you know grasshopper or a a biting insect and then thank goodness it's a butterfly (laughs) but but that little split second that these levels of perception um where you could even argue that we ourselves don't know ourselves because um you know how far do we question these levels of observation that we're making constantly. And this, this is super important because it, it all comes down to, you know, who are we and how are we observing? And this subconscious awareness of all these possible realities at that point of, you could almost say that's a God's eye point of view. And again, our good friend, life needs us there. He's the one who first came up with this idea of the perennial philosophy, which means that there is this apex point where all paths, all spiritual philosophies of whatever they may be, Christianity, Buddhism, and so forth, they converge to a singular point of um, zero entropy, basically, where there is um, this infinite eternity. And at that level, that is the level, that kind of God's eye view, where, yes, we would have an awareness of all these possibilities. We can access this through meditation. So it, it's, it's, we can get there and we can practice getting there. Wow. For listeners who are curious about finding out more, I'm wondering how reality shifts can help make our experience of, of this life, this life that we believe is linear. And it sounds like maybe isn't it, isn't the life that we believe sort of objective, but maybe is subjective. How can listeners use this idea of reality shifts to kind of help things get better for themselves. Oh yeah. I love that. Well, first of all, we can get what we need, even when we don't know what it is. Um, Secondly, we can start living a playful, joyful, miraculous life, accessing optimal realities. And also we can recognize that what we see can be changed. So just because we think something is fixed or our senses are showing us something, we can keep a positive attitude anyway. To to me, the whole thing is a very spiritual path. Maybe it's just because of who I am, but I I tend to take a look at the whole experience of reality shifts and come out of it feeling this whole um, reverent, awestruck sense that no matter what things may appear to be, they can change and definitely in a good way. What are the kinds of reality shifts you experience personally most often? Uh, That would usually be thinking I've lost something and then I find it, even though I'm pretty darn sure it wasn't there. And I'll, I'll get playful with things like I had nutmeg that I, it should have been in the cover in the cabinet with, it's kind of a messy cabinet with all the other spices. So I would look in the cabinet and it is not there. And I really wanted it to make my, whatever I was making, can't remember now, but it was a recipe that 
nutmeg just adds such a zest to things. And so I shut the cabinet and then I, this is what I do, recommend doing. If you're, if you want to play along with this sort of thing, I actually walked down the hall. I left the kitchen, walked down the hall with the, with the full awareness that now I'm going to walk back into a different kitchen, different cabinet. I'm going to open that cabinet and I open it and it was not there. And again, I don't get frustrated. Um, I did this about four times. It has an amazing ending though, because about the fourth or fifth time, it didn't even count the times. I just, I just provide that opportunity for reality to, um, you know, be playful with me, and um, you know, no questions are asked here. It's kind of like the, um, I'm giving it plausible deniability and uncertainty. You know, maybe it can just show up when it wants to. But anyway, when I came back and opened the cover, the I think it was the fifth time, roughly. There it was, the nutmeg, right where it should have been the first time, but wasn't. And there's Stop. nobody else. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> so this is the kind of fun thing we can do. Uh, now, if you have a purse and you throw everything into it, you might play with it that way. It really <laughs> it helps when there's a little bit of uncertainty. And I know your skeptics and cynics will say, well, Cynthia, then how do you know for sure? But I, I've seen so many mind-blowing reality shifts and... I think because I'm so open to it, so inspired, and um, I actually actively seek these things, then I'm more likely to see them with witnesses, like my very skeptical father. Um, you know, I, I don't think he's he's not cynical anymore. Um, you know, people when they witness these things with me, it, it starts changing their view of reality too. Oh, skepticism's good. At least I I feel it is. Skepticism can be a wonderful companion with intuition and curiosity and playfulness because we don't, unless we ask the question, wait a minute, how can that be? Did I just see that? Wait a minute. How can I know? It's hard to have learning if we don't have skepticism. That's the healthy kind. There's that awful kind of poisonous, bitter, turning in on itself, sneering kind. That's not what I mean. But good skepticism, that to me is a wonderful tool for the spiritual journey. Do you know what I mean? I think I even, yes. And I think I even say so in reality shifts. I say, I love the kind of skepticism that questions itself. That's the <laughs> good kind that yeah. then we're, yep. then we're good to go. You know, if your skepticism will question its very self, perfect. We're ready. Let's bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> what kinds of reality shifts have you experienced with other people? Oh my gosh. I've seen so many amazing things. Um, uh, you know, sometimes I see the most amazing stuff when I'm by myself and sometimes people are, I think, okay, here's one that happened with someone. I was just mentioning that I didn't have any milk and I was standing on the, uh, the refrigerator was closed. I'm standing next to it, talking to my friend saying, well, because we're out of milk, we can't, you know, have that with dinner for the kids. And I heard a thump inside the refrigerator and I looked at her like, what? Because <laughs> with a closed refrigerator, it sounded like something landed inside the refrigerator. And so I opened the refrigerator and there was like a half gallon of milk that looked like it had indeed just landed in there. And that was amazing to, to witness that with someone. And I, I've also, uh, my, my sister, at I think it was a Thanksgiving dinner and it was one of those meals where we had all these dishes and she and I had volunteered to do all the dishes. No problem. It was going to fill the dishwasher several times, but we could do it. Well, we'd filled it the first time and my sister had shut the dishwasher and clicked the button and it made a hideously horrible noise, grinding gear sound. There was a smell of burnt oil, mm -hmm. even visible fumes of smoke of some sort. And she looked horrified. She looked at me 
And she, and then she, she cracked me up. She said, can you do that thing you do? And I said, oh, you mean like a reality shift? <laughs> and she said, yes. I said, sure. And I said, it's a good thing we're both laughing because now she's laughing. And I said, this is perfect because you want to bring joyful, playful energy. You know, you want, a, you want a burst of energy to come with it. You want to keep an open mind that this is possible, even though it looks like this dishwasher made the most horrible sound. We smell that bad smell. We see the, the smoke in the air. We've had a dishwasher break on us before here at our parents' house. Um, but um, never mind all those details. We're going to now hold in our a very clear vision in our mind that this dishwasher is going to be perfectly functioning. We're just going to, I'm going to open it up now and just feel all my love for it. So I'm feeling the love. I know we need it, feeling how much we need it. I'm envisioning it's working in my mind's eye and ear. I can hear it starting perfectly. Mm. I can hear it. That's what it should have sounded like. That's what it should be sounding like. Okay. I think we're ready. I look at her and we're ready, ready. And then I shut it, uh, push the buttons to start it. And it just purred and made all the good noises and off it went perfectly oh. running. Oh my gosh. It's kind of like the energetic equivalent of turning it off and turning it yes. back on again, right? What's the first thing you try when <laughs> it all goes wrong? You stop, you unplug. And I'm going to be, and, and I, you know, definitely. And I will be the first to say that that could be along with the placebo effect. This could be reality shifts in action. I think we don't give nearly enough credit yeah. to the placebo effect for healing and turn it off, turn it on again, or unplug it for sure. Because we're giving it that chance to engage with a whole new reality. What are the applications of this for our, our physical bodies? for healing healing in in the in the physical like the mechanism of the physical body well that's very similar it's just recognizing that our physical body wants to work with us too just like our dishwasher or you know everything else it's um we can be friends with our body hopefully we if if people have been saying any negative stuff to themselves hopefully we can start turning that around so self-talk matters very much um, you want to say nice things to your body, think good thoughts about it. Um, and you might think, what do you mean, Cynthia? Okay, well, you know, lots of people feel like I'm too fat, or I'm too stupid, or I'm old, or this or that, and they don't realize the, the, um, the beating, that they're beating themselves up with their thoughts. So you definitely want to start turning that around. Um, and it's never, it's never too late to start. <laughs> you can start now. And so, and you can also start holding good thoughts in, in mind. Uh, uh, about that you're going to be aging beautifully. Um, start changing your beliefs and your assumptions about old age so that you can de-link, decouple aging with falling apart. So what you want to be in, instead envisioning is getting older and getting better, getting older and getting wiser, older and stronger, older and more vibrant, older and more capable. So you want to start playing with some of these um, unexamined beliefs that we usually do have, usually it's not entirely our own fault, but we pick it up from the culture. And so you want to actively start turning those around. And then you can start um, experiencing little shifts. Like if you wake up and you know that you didn't get enough sleep the night before, play with telling yourself that you did, that you got a perfect night's sleep. Um, that's been experimentally proven to improve people's test scores on cognitive tests. And people actually feel better when they just tell themselves that. 
And it's a good way to break into reality shifting with your body. And then you can move on up to, you know, cancer busting and tumor busting and that kind of thing. Our time's gone like a, a rocket. We were laughing before we started to record the episode, just saying that it would be, it was fast and good and fun. Cynthia, how can listeners find out more? How can they dig in deeper? Uh, you can definitely look for my books and you can sign up for my newsletter. Uh, that's realityshifters.com. And I've got my books, Quantum Jumps, Reality Shifts are on Amazon and lots of other places. And I do sell autographed copies to people in the United States. So right now, and uh, um, they're also on audiobooks and eBooks as well. And I've, I'm on YouTube, I'm on social media, but I think the easiest way to find and stay in touch is sign up for my newsletter at realityshifters.com. And that's free, it comes out once a month. Oh, wonderful. Cynthia, thank you for talking to me. Thank you so much, Karen. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. That's Cynthia Sue Larson. She is the author of Reality Shifts, When Consciousness Changes the Physical World. You can find out more about Cynthia and all her work, all the other books, everything she's up to. Find that free monthly newsletter at realityshifters.com. And of course, you're always welcome over at karenhager.com. It's a great place to find out about upcoming classes and events. You could even book a private intuitive session with me there if you're so inclined. And you can follow Fog City Psychic on Instagram for out of the fog goodies and Maisie the puppy photos and a chance to see what's on my jigsaw puzzle board at the moment. Thank you for listening today. Together, we are spreading a little more light in the world and a little more light is always a good thing. Until next time, I'm wishing you peace.